Hey there. It's so great to have you here with us today. One Chapel is a family of neighborhood churches in Lake Travis, and we help people move from where they are to where God wants them to be. You can learn more about the things God is doing in this community and how to get involved at onechapel.com. I hope you enjoy this week's message from our Who Am I series. Well, good morning, everybody. Oh, it's so great to see you here this morning. Isn't it great to see Hayden? (laughs) I've actually seen a lot of him. I've been going back and forth to Houston more times than I can remember, and I've decided I do not like that drive to Houston. All of you who do that on a regular basis, bless your hearts. <laughs> uh, That's just no fun by any means. All right, get your Bibles out if you would, please. We have been doing a series around here that we've been calling Who Am I? We're now halfway into this whole series where we've been looking into this question because I think a lot of times we are kind of oblivious to how often we're, we're actually asking this question. I think a lot of times we're not even aware of it, but... But I think the reality is that whether you're in your ups and downs or the, the, the strengths or the weaknesses of your life, your, you know, the blurbs or the victories, I think we're constantly asking this question, who am I? And so if you missed the last couple of Sundays, let me kind of get you caught up here just a little bit. Because what we're talking about in this series is how to discover the person who God has called you to be, who he created, not the person who others want you to be. Not the persons your, your, your emotions want you to be, not the person your hormones want you to be, not the person your thoughts want to be, not the person that other people are pushing onto you and culture is put, pushing onto you, but actually who God has created you to be. And so in order for us to answer this question, who am I, we need to be able to go to God and ask that question. He's the one who needs to be able to share with us and reveal to us just who we are created to be and what he's called us to do. This is not something that's just introspective. It's not something that you run to your local bookstore and, and search the self-help aisle in your local bookstore to find the answer. No, this is something, this question of who am I can really only be answered by the one who created you. And so over the last three weeks, we've been looking through the Bible at different people who have also asked this question, who am I? And so the first week we looked at Moses, the second week we looked at King Saul, and last week we looked at Ruth. This morning we're going to look at one of the major characters in the New Testament. So if you want to turn with me to the book of Matthew, or you can also follow along on the screens, Matthew chapter 16, verse 13 is where we're going to start. It says, when Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, Who do you say the Son of Man is? They replied, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and still others Jeremiah or one of the prophets. But what about you, he asked, who do you say I am? Simon Peter answered, you are the Messiah, the Son of the living God. Jesus replied, blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for this was not revealed to you by flesh and blood, but by my Father in heaven. And I tell you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. We're going to talk about Peter here just a little bit here today. And I think so many of us can relate to Peter. There's just so much about Peter and how he thinks and his actions that I think are just so relatable to most of us. It started with Jesus seeing Peter fishing. And Jesus asked Peter to come and to follow him to be one of his disciples. And so that's exactly what Peter did. Peter just left everything, just like that. He, he stopped and he left everything to follow Jesus. And eventually, Peter became one of Jesus' inner circle of friends and disciples. And so Peter is a doer. He's a man of action. 
He's also a little bit of a talker, if you've read the Bible here a little bit. He, so many times he was speaking before he was thinking, and that got him into trouble just a little bit. He was also extremely impetuous. He was always just kind of reacting in the moment, um, like the time that the disciples were in the boat, and they were going over to the, the other side to, to Gennarisate, and uh, this huge storm hits. Look at how it's described in Matthew 14, verse 25. This is shortly before dawn. Jesus went out to them walking on the lake. When the disciples saw him walking on the lake, they were terrified. It's a ghost, they said, and cried out in fear. But Jesus immediately said to them, take courage, it is I, don't be afraid. Lord, if it's you, Peter replied, tell me to come to you on the water. Come, he said. Then Peter got out of the boat, walked on the water, and came toward Jesus. But when he saw the wind, he was afraid and began to sink. He cried out, Lord, save me. Immediately, Jesus reached out his hand and caught him. You of little faith, he said, why did you doubt? And when they climbed in the boat, the wind died down. Then those who were in the boat worshipped him, saying, truly, you are the Son of God. So think about this. Peter walks on the water. When all the rest of the disciples were afraid and stayed put in the boat, Peter got out of the boat and actually walked on the water. Now, obviously, we know the rest of the story. He sees the wind and the waves, and he, he, afraid, he gets afraid and begins to sink. But don't let that cloud the fact that Peter was the only one who walked on the water. And so we see with Peter, so many times with Peter, he gets corrected by Jesus, but then there are also so many times that Jesus actually praises him for a job well done. Which brings me back to Matthew chapter 16, verse 13. It says, when Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say the Son of Man is? Now, I want you to notice that this conversation that Jesus is having with his disciples is happening in this place called Caesarea Philippi. And Caesarea Philippi was this incredibly dark part of this region. It was filled with pantheism and all sorts of worship of really nasty gods and how that infected people's lives. And so Jesus goes into this dark place, which I think is what he does all along. And, and in this really dark place, he asks this, who am I question? Who do you say that I am? And Peter replied, verse 16, you are the Messiah, the son of the living God. And then Jesus said, verse 17, Blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for this was not revealed to you by flesh and blood, but by my Father in heaven. In other words, ding, 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 Peter, you got the answer right. It was a real success moment in Peter's life. None of the other disciples got the answer right. It was, it was only Peter who got the answer right. But I want you to notice what Jesus says, the reason why Peter got the answer right. Verse 17, for this was not revealed to you by flesh and blood, but by my Father in heaven. You know, I think so many times we try to get on this journey of identifying um, just who we are, these, these identity questions. And I think a lot of times we try to approach it from really kind of a cerebral point of view. And so we, these, we do these personality tests and these strength finder tests and these gift tests and these value tests and these birth order analyses. And, 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 and I, I'm not saying that there's anything wrong with those. I mean, we actually do a lot of those here at, at the church. I mean, I think they're, they are very insightful in helping you discover just a little bit more about who you are. But at the end of the day... What makes all the difference in the world is not this information, but it's actually revelation. 
this question of who am I still needs to come from the revelation of the Holy Spirit speaking to you individually. The revelation of who you are, who God's intended you to be, and, who God, and what God has created you to do. We say this all the time in Catalyst 2 and Catalyst 3, which is our kind of a discipleship program that we do around here. Now, when you get to the point where you're actually working on your, your purpose statement, your mission statement, we say this all the time, but you don't need more information. What you need is revelation. And so when we look at Peter, this was a huge moment right here because Peter gets the answer right. He taps into the revelation of the Holy Spirit there in that moment. And he's even learning more about his own identity. Verse 18, Jesus said, And I tell you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. And so this is a huge moment in Peter's life. But then less than a year later, Peter goes from being a hero where he knows that he knows that he knows who Jesus is and he knows who he is and who God's created him to be. He goes from that point of being a hero and yes, then a, less than a year, a year later, he goes completely into failure mode because he denies Jesus not just one time, but three times. And ultimately, he denies himself. Look at this in Luke chapter 22, starting in verse 54. It says, then seizing him, they led him in a way and took him to the house of the high priest. Peter followed at a distance, and when some there had kindled a fire in the middle of the courtyard and had sat down together, Peter sat down with them. A servant girl sat, saw him seated there in the firelight. She looked closely at him and said, this man was with him, but he denied it. Woman, I don't know him. He said nothing about this, because this is the very one who had gotten the answer right earlier. Just a, almost less than a year earlier, Peter got this answer right when he said, you are the Christ, the Messiah, the Son of the living God. Peter got it right. But now this very same one is saying, I don't know who this is. I don't know him. Verse 58. A little later, someone else saw him and said, you also are one of them. Man, I'm not, Peter replied. Now, do you see it? Not only is he denying who Jesus is, but now he's beginning to not deny himself and who he is. His very identity here is drastically changing. Again, this is the same man that Jesus said of him in Matthew 16, verse 18. And now I'm going to tell you who you are, really are. You are Peter, a rock. This is the rock in which I'll put together my church. A church so expansive with energy that not even the gates of hell will be able to keep it out. This is who Jesus said he was. And Peter embraced it. This is who I am. This is who God has called me to be. Just almost a year earlier, he has this revelation of who he is. But now, Peter's not just denying Jesus, but he's also denying himself, denying his own identity, his own call. Verse 59, about an hour later, Another asserted, certainly this fellow was with him, for he is Galilean. Peter replied, man, I don't know what you're talking about. Just as he was speaking, the rooster crowed. And so Peter denies Jesus three times. And then look what happens, verse 61. And the Lord turned and looked straight at Peter. This is more than just disappointing your parents. This is more than just disappointing yourself. This is more than just the basic emotion of guilt. It says here, and the Lord turned and looked straight at Peter. Can you imagine? Could you imagine just that, what that look would do to your own heart? This incredibly challenging look from the one 
who Peter had had that revelation that this is the Messiah, the Christ, the Son of the living God, the one with whom he had walked on the water, the one who was his teacher, the one who was the Savior, the one who he had admired the most, the one who he had developed this close friendship with, looks at him, verse 61, the Lord turned and looked straight at Peter. Then Peter remembered the word the Lord had spoken to him. Before the rooster crows today, you will disown me three times. And he went outside and wept bitterly. You know, when you're in the middle of failure, it brings out and comes to surface so much pain. The pain of letting others down. The pain of thinking that you're never going to be able to get past this. Your world is broken. Your world is over. You're never going to get beyond this. You're never going to be able to overcome this. People around you are never going to be able to see you the same ever again. I think those are the feelings. That's the pain that happens when we walk into failure. And so the question becomes, who am I when I've failed? Who am I when I've failed? And I want you to think about this because what kind of failure maybe are you facing right now? I mean, are you dealing with repercussions of choices and decisions that you made and that brought not only this emotional impact, but also just the practical um, ramifications of this? What kind of failure maybe are you having to deal with right now? Because when you face failure, it can challenge your very identity to the core. That's what failure does. A lot of times it just it shakes us to the core of who we are. And the reality is that every single one of us here, we're going to fail. You will fail. I hate to be a bearer of bad news for you, but it's true, right? Every single one of us are going to fail in different ways, and you're going to fail time and time and time again. None of us are perfect, and so failure is part of this journey that we are on. I want you to listen to this guy's life, because if his life could have been put in chapters, I think this is how the chapters would have gone in his life. Chapter one, at the age of 22, he failed in business. Chapter two, at the age of 23, he was defeated for state legislature. Chapter three, at the age of 24, he failed in business again. Chapter four, at the age of 25, he was elected to the legislature. Chapter five, at the age of 26, his fiance died. Chapter six, at the age of 27, he had a nervous breakdown. Chapter seven, At the age of 29, he was defeated for Speaker of the House. Chapter 8, at the age of 31, he was defeated for Elector. Chapter 9, at the age of 41, his son died. Chapter 10, at the age of 46, he was defeated for the U.S. Senate. Chapter 11, at the age of 47, he was defeated for Vice President. Chapter 12, at the age of 49, he was defeated for the Senate again. I mean, if you're reading this story, you're thinking, come on, man, what's going on? This obviously is not for you. This, you're, not, you're not doing the right thing. I mean, failure is, enti- is his entire life. One thing after another, failure after failure. And so it's easy, I think, for us to look at him and say, come on, do something different. This isn't working. Wake up. People are rejecting you, right? When, when you read this man's story of his life, I think that's our reaction to it. But he has one more chapter, and, and, and it's the, the last chapter of his life. He turns 51, and then he's elected the president of the United States. Any of you remember who this is? Abraham Lincoln. It's the story of his life. Listen, everybody, you're going to fail. Failure is a part of this life that we live in, but how you respond to failure has huge implications of you becoming who you were created to be. 
Failure is a part of this journey. And so how you respond to failure is absolutely imperative. Some of you are facing, you're right in the middle of really difficult and painful situations of failure that you're facing. Maybe it's because you took a shortcut at work or you, you made a wrong decision at work. And so maybe you're facing a potential business failure. Maybe for you, it's you've had failures in your marriage and maybe you're facing some sort of potential separation or divorce. Maybe for you, it's because you've made some sort of connection with someone online and it's leading you down a wrong path. And now you're in a place that you never thought you would be. Maybe for some of you, you've gotten into a heated argument and you said some things that you wish that you could take back. And so the question becomes, how are you going to respond to failure? How are you going to respond to failure? How do you handle failure in a healthy way? Because we're all going to experience. We're going to experience failure time and time again in our life. Well, the first thing that I believe is that failure can either distort or clarify your identity. Think about that. Failure can either distort or it'll actually clarify your identity. It all depends upon how you respond to it. And so today, I want to give you three, what I would consider kind of three healthy responses to failure. And here's a big one. Number one, you have to separate your failure from your identity. You have to separate your failure from your identity. Yes, you made a mistake, but you are not a mistake. Yes, you failed in this area, but you are not a failure. See, what the devil wants to happen in that moment of failure that is for that failure to lock onto your identity and you lose hope that you can ever move beyond it. That's what the devil wants to do. The devil wants to lock that failure onto your identity. Did, did, did any of you um, watch Tiger Woods win the 2019 Masters Tournament? Did any of you see this or read about it? This is a point in case in everything that I'm talking about right here. I love this article by Jeff Seidel from the Detroit Free Press. He wrote about Tiger Woods, and I just think all this can identify. Listen to this. He writes this. He said, I've watched it three times now. The first time was early Sunday afternoon during the live broadcast. I had tears in my eyes as Tiger Woods won the 2019 Masters Tournament for his 15th major championship and fifth victory at Augusta. The second time was on my DVR. I rewound and couldn't stop smiling, feeling a connection to Tiger that I had never felt before. I can relate to him now far more than ever before. This is a man full of flaws and hardships, many of his own doing, which describes just about all of us, right? The third time was early Sunday evening during the broadcast replay. I didn't intend to watch it again, but I was clicking through the channels, waiting for the Detroit Pistons game. I started watching the Masters again on CBS, and I le leaned against the wall in my kitchen and smiled again, watching him hug his children. If it wasn't the greatest athletic moment I've seen in my lifetime, it was certainly the greatest comeback in sports history, and it is the most meaningful to me on a personal level. Woods took off his cap, revealing a thinning hairline and bald patch and back. Yes, I can relate. He hugged his son, Charlie, just as he'd, as he'd once hugged his father, Earl, it was like some wonderful circle of life playing out on a golf course. Tiger hugged his daughter and his girlfriend, and I found myself searching for her on Google just because. Google, it should be pointed out, was founded on September 4th, 1998, a year after Tiger won his first Masters championship. I distinctly remember Michigan State being, beating Indiana State and winning the 1979 NCAA championship. I watched it with my father in our basement in Bay City. He was an MSU graduate, and I don't know if I've ever seen him so happy. 
I vaguely remember the miracle on ice. I was in eighth grade, and while I certainly know the story, and I've seen replays a number of times, I don't remember watching it while it was broadcast. I've seen countless replays of the Immaculate Reception, the catch, and the drive. And I've been fortunate to see many athletes in person. I, wit I witnessed Michael Phelps swim at the Olympics, Miguel Cabrera win a triple crown, Barry Sanders pull a Houdini on the football field, and Tom Brady throw a touchdown pass. But this, this was the greatest sports moment of my lifetime. Is this blasphemous? Is it truly blasphemous? Truly? And what would be the blasphemy? Those words were from a profile of Woods, which was written by Charles P. Pierce and published in March 2019 edition of Esquire. That profile was controversial and profound, and after reading it, it was the closest I'd ever felt to knowing Woods until Sunday afternoon. It probably starts with my age. Woods is 43. I am nine years older, but it feels as if we're the same age, mainly because I have spent a large chunk of my lifetime watching him play golf. I used to sit around late Sunday afternoon and watch him in that red Nike shirt, pumping his fist and dominating. Tiger was must-see TV. He was a superhero, doing things that nobody else could do. There was nothing about him that I could relate to other than the first fist pimp, may, pimp pump, first pump, fist pump, good grief. And he was strong and powerful, unworldly, almost invincible until he wasn't. His flaws have been well chronicled. The infidelities, the divorce, the DUI arrests, his body broke down like a flawed superhero, knee injuries, back injury, Achilles, nerve block, surgeries, a spinal fusion. He went 11 years without a major championship, and now... Here he was back on a Sunday, wearing red, pumping his fist again at the top like old tiger. But this version was far more approachable, far more human. And this win seems far more spectacular, because probably because I can relate to him now. Not everything about him, of course, but far more than ever before. I've limped around with knee pain and can't quite turn my head without neck pain. I've gone through surgeries, and when Tiger talked about his daughter playing soccer... Losing in the state championship, I smiled. He sounded like any other traveling parent. So I teared up when he was hugging his kids because of everything he has overcome. We all have our own struggles, our own demons. So I smiled watching the replays as fans were chanting, Tiger, Tiger, and he was hugging everybody in sight. It was a victory for science. It was a victory for thinning heads. It was a victory for everyone who was flawed. This was a victory for the middle-aged, maybe He's not middle-aged, not yet. Technically, he's just a few years shy. But he has been around for so long, and his body has been ravaged so badly that he seems older, and I believe he's close enough to qualify. And that man with countless flaws and the fused body and the rebuilt swing just completed the greatest comeback I've ever seen, played out over more than a decade. Tiger did something that seemed so impossible. He is a champion again, and that felt just like the old days, the old Tiger and this time, for the first time, I can relate to him. I, I mean, I think that was the collective feel, you know, when, when he won. But I think it's such a great illustration, not just of comeback, but this, what, this whole thing that failure can either distort or clarify your identity. It can either distort or clarify your identity. And that's why you have to separate failure from your identity, who you are. Yes, you're going to fail, but that's not who you are. Here's the second thing that I think is helpful. And that's number two, recognize the factors that fuel failure. Actually, recognize them. There are different factors that are going to fuel failure in your life, so we have to recognize them. Think about this with Peter, because Jesus knew where Peter was headed. Jesus knew that Peter was heading into this trap where he was going to be tempted 
to deny Jesus. And I just think that's so incredibly important for us to understand because that's the way the Holy Spirit is for every single one of us. The Holy Spirit wants to help you avoid and to stay away from these big mistakes and failures that are coming down your path. That's why it's so important for us to learn to listen to him and not harden our hearts toward him speaking to us because he actually wants to warn us. He wants to give us a heads up. He wants to help divert our path so that we don't fall into those temptations. That's the individual part. But I also believe there are some general factors that all of us face that can fuel failure in every one of our lives. And here's one of them, and that is good intentions without wisdom. Good intentions without wisdom can actually fuel failure in your life. I think most of us, we understand that bad character, that it's going to end you in trouble. I think most of us get that we understand that. But the reality is that you can have a good heart. You can have good intentions, and that can still fuel failure in your life. When you look at Peter, Peter was passionate. He had this giddy, excited heart. He was ready to go. He was one of the good guys with good intentions, but he didn't always have the wisdom that was going along with his actions and with his words there were his, he was passionate, but he didn't always have the wisdom. Proverbs 19, verse 2 says, It's not good to have zeal without knowledge, nor to be hasty and miss the way. And so that's why every single one of us, we need to be equipped. We need to learn God's ways. We need to not just depend on ourselves and our own thoughts and what we think it is right. Always remember our hearts are deceitful above all things. And so that's why over and over and over in Scripture, the Bible tells us that we need to surround ourselves with godly, wise people that can speak into our lives, that we submit our lives to, because good intentions without wisdom can lead you towards failure. The second factor that will fuel failure in life is emotional pressure. Emotional pressure. I just think this is a big one because so many of us are stressed out. We're burned out. We're anxious. And so we get overextended. We get overcommitted. And so what happens then is that we become very susceptible then to click on the wrong thing. We become very susceptible to medicate all the stress that we're in or under. Or, or I think we become very susceptible to look for a new relationship so that it'll make us feel better about ourselves, Or to do something that'll give us immediate gratification so that we can have just a, a burst of a feeling of good in our life. And so emotional pressure can just lead to all sorts of failure in our life. A third factor that will fuel failure and our lives is willful disobedience. Willful disobedience. And listen, everybody, we all mis make mistakes. We all mess up. We get out of line. We run, we, we drive the car into the ditch from time to time. And listen, that's okay. Because we all make mistakes. But there's a difference between foolishness and ignorance and willful disobedience. The Bible says that rebellion is actually that of witchcraft. And so if you get under the spirit of rebellion, it will move you into willful disobedience, and you'll move away then from God's path and plan for your life. And listen, everybody, that's just going to cause a train wreck then in your life. And the reality is, is that some of you have already hardened your heart. You've been hardening your heart just to the move of God in your life. He's been speaking to you, but you're hardening your heart, and you're just saying, I don't care. I'm just going to do what I want to do. But listen, everybody, don't do it. Don't do it because willful disobedience will cause so much chaos and tragedy and heartache in your life. And then here's a fourth factor that I think that fuels failure in our life, and that is just simply circumstances beyond our control. Circumstances beyond our control. And, and I just think that's the reality of living in the world that we live in today. 
This is not heaven. This, there's nothing perfect about this world, which means people are going to do things and say things that will affect your life. The government's going to do things and say things that's going to affect your life. Your employer's going to do things and say things that affect your life. And we're surrounded by all sorts of things that are just outside of your control. There's so many things in this life that are just beyond what you can control. And sometimes that leads then us to failure. And so then the question becomes, so what do we do? (laughs) What do we do when we fail? Because like I said before, some of you are facing some big failures And you're dealing with the circumstances that are devastating. You're dealing with the guilt regarding some of the things that you have done. And you're like, if people really knew what was going on in my life, I don't think they would want me to be around. I don't think they would really accept me. And so how do you get back some hope? How do you get back on track? How do you not let this go into your identity to not be defined by your failures? Well, here's the third thing. Number three, realize Jesus sees and is working toward the best version of you. We have to realize that Jesus sees and is working on the best version of you. And I just think this is so important to understand that Jesus sees us. He sees exactly what is going on in your life. There's nothing that's happening in your life that's outside of his sight, outside of his, of his knowing. He sees it all. And he's working towards the who he has called you to be. And so let's go back to Peter. Because when we left Peter, he had just denied Jesus three times. Look at this in Luke chapter 22, verse 61. It says, the Lord turned and looked straight at Peter. Then Peter remembered the word of the Lord that had spoken to him. Before the rooster crows today, you will disown me three times. And he went outside and wept bitterly. And so Peter has this monumental failure and he gets caught. That's even worse, right? (laughs) It's one thing to know that you failed, and you can kind of hide it from everybody else. Another thing, when you failed, and now it's known. It's out for everybody to see. It's public. It's been exposed. This is where Peter was, and he weeps bitterly over it. But do you know what he does next? You know what Peter does next? He goes back to fishing. <laughs> Peter goes back to fishing, goes back to what he knew. And here's the thing, everybody. If you don't learn how to handle failure in your life, you'll just go back to how things were, the old, your old life. And I've just seen it time and time and time and time and time again. Failure hits and you run back to your old lifestyle. Failure hits and you run back to your old friendships. Our tendency is to go back to the, ty- the tyranny of the familiar when we don't know how to handle failure. That's the rut that we want to go to because I'm attached to that. My identity is attached to it, and that's exactly what Peter did. Peter ran. Peter went back to fishing. He went back to his old life. He thought, that's what I'm defined by. But here's what I love about Jesus, because Jesus comes running after us. He comes running after us. When we try to go backwards because of our failure, Jesus comes after us. And listen, everybody, you cannot outrun Jesus. Come on, everybody. I know maybe you're trying. I know maybe it's hard for you to look at yourself and what you have done. But listen, you cannot outrun Jesus. And Jesus is persistent. He won't ever give up on you. Look at this in John chapter 21, verse 1. Afterward, Jesus appeared again to his disciples by the Sea of Galilee. It happened this way. Simon Peter, Thomas, also known as Didymus, Nathaniel from Cana in Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and two other disciples were together. 
I'm going out to fish. Simon Peter told them, and they said, well, we'll go with you. So they went out and got into the boat. But that night they caught nothing. Early in the morning, Jesus stood on the shore, but the disciples did not realize that it was Jesus. He called to them, friends, haven't you any fish? No, they answered. He said, throw your net on the right side of the boat and you will find some. When they did, they were unable to haul the net in because of the large number of fish. Then the disciple, whom Jesus loved, said to Peter, it is the Lord. As soon as Simon Peter heard him say, it is the Lord, he wrapped his outer garments around him, for he had taken it off, and he jumped into the water. Look, at Jesus sought out Peter intentionally. Jesus sought him out, and when that happens, Peter runs back to Jesus. I, I, I love this. I love what's going on and how, how Jesus deals with just the messiness of our life. And look what Jesus does with Peter, verse 21, verse 15. It says, when they had finished eating, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, Simon John, do you love me more than these? Yes, Lord, he said. You know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my lambs. Again, Jesus said, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He answered, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus said, take care of my sheep. The third time he said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was hurt because Jesus asked him the third time, do you love me? He answered, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my sheep. Very truly, I tell you, when you were younger, you dressed yourself and went where you wanted. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and someone else will dress you and lead you where you do not want to go. And Jesus said this to indicate the kind of death by which Peter would glorify God. Then he said to him, follow me. Here's what I love about Jesus' interaction with Peter. Because Jesus, not once... Jesus didn't bring up Peter's denials. Did you see that? Not once did Jesus bring up Peter's failures. Jesus knew that Peter was mulling this over and weeping and crying. Jesus knew that, but he doesn't even bring it up. In essence, what Jesus is saying, look, that's not what I want to talk about with you. There's only one thing that makes the difference in all of this. There's only one thing that will break you out of that failure and those mistakes that you've made and move you forward into all that God's called you to be. And that one thing is, do you love me? Do you love me? That's the one thing that makes all the difference in the world. Do you love me? Because if you love me, my love will come in into your life and separate and saturate your heart to such a degree that my power, the power of my love, will cause you to move forward out of failure into purpose. Listen, this is what Jesus focused on with Peter. He focused on, do you love me? And it moved Peter. It moved Peter from failure to the fullness of all that God had created him to be and, and to be able to step into all that God had called him to do. So everybody, if you're walking through some sort of failure right now and trying to figure out how to fix this, stop. Stop here for a moment. Because the most important question to answer is this one, where's your love for Jesus? Where's your willingness to just say, Okay, Jesus, here I am. Because when you let his unconditional love come in into your life, it changes the condition of your heart, and it will move you forward into all that he's called you to be. Several years ago, I found myself in a, just this, uh, this weird, low place, and I couldn't figure out what was going on. 
Um, in, in my own life, I couldn't figure out really how I even got there. And I was, I was up camping with a group of guys up in northern, northern Wisconsin. And I was sitting on a dam in this beautiful, this, off this beautiful lake. And I, I God ends up just um, having this, I had this encounter with God right there sitting on, on this dam. And I, I wrote it in my journal. So if you don't mind, I'm going to read a portion of my, my journal here for you, if you would, please. And this is, so this is what I wrote. I was struggling, trying to figure out why I felt so aimless, why I felt like I was just drifting out there, being tugged to and fro by everything happening around me. So I got up from my comfortable lounge chair and went and sat by the dam. I sat there just watching the torrent of water flow through the spillway and rush quickly underneath me and through the rocks into a smaller pond, and then out the other end through a narrow riverbed. As I was watching this torrent of water, I found myself praying, God, I need your living water to wash over me. I need the movement of your spirit to propel me. I need you to move, I need, I need you to move me out of the stagnant waters that I found myself in. As I was praying this, I noticed a log that was to the side of me, and so I threw it into the spillway and watched the raging current force it under the water and disappear for a second, only after a moment later to pop back up on top of the water. But when it came up out of the water, it split into two pieces. I watched as the larger the two pieces continued to be propelled by the current towards the river opening. But to my surprise, the smaller of the two pieces began to drift to the right side, away from the main course of the current. Little by little, it left the main current and began to drift to the right bank of the pond. Once it got to the bank, it floated close to the shoreline and slowly started coming back towards the spillway opening. As I watched this little log go backwards and hover around the shoreline, my attention was drawn back to the larger of the two pieces, and by this time it was three-fourths of the way through the pond and almost to the opening of the riverbed. The current was continuing to propel it forward. It was then that I noticed the stark contrast of the two logs. If the log stays in the current, the log will be propelled forward. It can't help but be propelled forward. But if the log comes out of that current, it becomes sidelined and banked on the edge of the pond. And right then and there, I heard the Spirit of God speak to my heart and say, You are that banked piece of wood. And in that moment, I realized that over the past six months, things had happened to cause me to break apart from the move and the power of the Holy Spirit in my life. And, I'd been, and I had been drifting backwards to the shoreline of life. As I watched the distance between the two pieces of wood become greater and greater, the larger one now making its way down the narrow opening to the river, and a smaller piece now fully entangled in the rocks and weeds by the shoreline. It was then that I realized how much had been lost in the past six months of my life, how much momentum had been lost, how far behind I had fallen by not staying in the current, the power of God in my life. As I watched that smaller piece of wood, now completely at a standstill, engulfed in the weeds and rocks, I, find myself being, I found myself being that little piece of wood's cheerleader. You can do it. You can get back into the flow of the river, get out of the rocks, get out of the weeds that have entangled you. And in that moment, I became that little piece. Hmm. Of wood. And I began to cry out, I can do it. I can get back into the flow of God's current for my life. I choose to get back into the flow of God. I choose to not stay in the shallows. I choose to not stay sidelined. I choose to not go backwards. I'm not going to stay here. I'm jumping back into the current of the Holy Spirit. As I continued 
to monitor, monitor the progress of that little piece of wood, I realized that it was not going to make it back into the current on its own. So I made my way down the rock embankment. All the time I was saying out loud, I choose to live my life in the power of God. I'm not going to be satisfied with just drifting through life. I choose to get back in the current of God. Once I got down the rocky embankment, I bent down and picked up the little piece of wood and pulled up all the weeds that had wrapped themselves around the precious little piece of wood and were keeping the wood grounded on that shoreline. And then with a loud voice, I said, I choose to get back to the river of God. And with that, I pushed the little piece of wood back into the current. I don't think I've ever been so happy to see a piece of wood moving in the right direction. But to my chagrin, as I watched the little piece of wood float into the middle of the pond, it caught that same side current and began to repeat the same scenario. Drifting to the right of the pond, slowly making its way back to me by the opening of the spill. I couldn't believe it. All the effort that I went to to get that little piece of wood back into the main current. And now it was just repeating the same sidelining mistake all over again. Well, now I was, I was mad. <laughs> and I was even more determined because this little piece of wood was me. I choose to get back into the stream of God. I'm not going to settle for this. I'm not going to be sidelined. I'm, I'm not going to just drift through life. And so again, I watched that little piece of wood make its way back to me. And as I watched, I noticed the weeds that had entangled the little piece of wood the last time. And I thought, not this time. And in case... Whew. And in case any other piece of wood ever veers off course and gets banked, I'm going to remove these weeds so that they cannot entangle sideline pieces of wood ever again. I'm just so silly. I'm so stupid here. <laughs> uh, as I moved, as I removed those weeds from the path of this side current, I remembered the verse from Isaiah 57, 14, which says, build up, build up, prepare the road, remove the obstacles out of the way of my people. I knew that just as I was removing those weeds from the path of that side current, that when I remove the things that are entangling me and sidelining me, that that would then be a help to others so that they could go get back into the main current that God has for their lives as well. Finally, my little piece of wood made its way back into the opening of the spillway a second time. I quickly picked it up and I threw it into the center of the current and I said, loud again, I choose. I choose to live my life in the flow and the current and the power of the Holy Spirit. I will not be banked. I will not be sidelined. I will not, I will not drift backwards. I will not sway to the left or to the right. But I will stay in the flow of the Holy Spirit today. I choose you, God. This time, the little piece of wood stayed in the center of that main current. And finally, just like the bigger piece of wood, it maneuvered its way through the pond to the river opening. Yes, it took longer than the bigger piece of wood. And yes, there was a distance gap between the two. But you know what? That didn't matter. All that mattered was this little piece of wood was back on track, because back in the main current of the stream, and so was I. And then I, I have just a little side note here. When that little piece of wood got stuck in that side current, that side current, if left unimpeded by rocks and weeds, would have brought that little piece of wood back into the main current of the river. It was the rocks and the weeds that got my little piece of wood entangled and completely stopped in its progress. Isn't it interesting that even when we get off track, God has a side current to help us get back into the right path. He truly is the God of second chances. Amen. If you would, I want you to just close your eyes here, if you would, please. Because I want to pray for you. Because I think this question of who am I 
when I fail, is just such a significant question in our own identity. And I think the reality is, for some of you here, you're a fail, your failures have attached to your identity. And so that's how you see yourself. I'm a failure. I'm a mistake. And it's pushing you. It's sidelining you. It's, getting you. it's pushing you out of the current that God has for you, who he has called you to be, and what he's called you to do. And I just believe that even here in this moment, that God's stirring in your own heart, maybe where you've gotten sidelined, maybe where you've just they've gotten distracted, Maybe we're just kind of going through the flow of life, but you're not really engaging in the purpose and call that God has for your life. And so, Father, I pray for every one of us here this morning. And, Lord, I I realize that not everyone is walking through failure, discouragement, or being sidelined. But, Lord, I realize that all of us will fail. We, We fail time and time and time again. But, God, I'm so grateful that you run after us. That you don't just leave us out there sidelined, messed up, but you go after us. You come down into that, those messy things where we've been entangled and where we've been stuck. And you come and right there and then and there. I love how you did this with Peter. You don't bring up our failures. You don't bring up our messes and denials. You just, you just say, well, will you, will you just love me? Let my love flow through you because it's my love that will change everything for you. And so, Father, I pray for just the release of your unconditional love into everyone here in this room. That, Father, that your spirit of revelation would come into those situations that people are in, where they feel stuck, where they feel sidelined, they don't know how to get out of it. Maybe they've tried and they just feel like they're repeating it. They keep on failing. They keep on trying and failing, trying and failing. God, that you would jump in into that, into that being stuck in that routine and that habit. Father, that you would, your love would break people free from that, from that failure to help them move forward in all that you have for their lives. And so if you would, I want you to, can you just declare this out loud, just like I did in that, that little journal entry. Could you just declare, declare this out loud just over yourself? Just say this with me. Say, I choose. Say it out loud with everything you can just say. I choose to get back in the flow of God. I choose not to stay in the shallows. I choose not to stay sidelined. I choose not to go backwards. I'm not going to stay here. I'm not going to settle for this. I'm jumping back into the current of the Holy Spirit. I choose life. And I choose to live my life in the power of God. I'm not going to just drift through life. I choose to live my life in the flow and the current and the power of the Holy Spirit. I will not be banked. I will not be sidelined. I will not drift backwards. I will not sway to the left or to the right, but I will stay in the flow of the Holy Spirit. And God, all that you have for my life, today, I choose you. God, I choose you. And I choose your plan 
and purpose for my life. In Jesus' name. Thanks again for being here with us today. If God is doing something in your life or you're looking for ways to get connected, we want to help. You can find info about groups, teams, and other things happening at onechapel.com slash welcome. You can subscribe to future messages from One Chapel on your favorite podcast player. And of course, you're invited to services every Sunday morning at 9.30 and 11.30. Have a great week.